Welcome to the Holy Smokes Podcast, a show about faith, friendship, fine tobacco, and drink. I'm Steve Ryder, and we are at the Conclave. We have so many freaking people here. It is very cool. You can hear the conversations going on right now, and I am with Dave Yancey. Dave, How are welcome. You? Thank you, sir. Thank you. I've been looking forward to this. So, first question, what you smoking? This is a Florida Sun Grown out of Florida. They're out of the Tampa area. They're a boutique cigar, and it's a torpedo. It's got a beautiful FSG Habano wrapper on it. Uh, amazing construction on it. Stacking the dimes on that ash. Yeah, already. you are. Big time. So, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying this stick. One of the brothers down in Florida, lives on a boat, gave it to me today. Awesome. Very cool. So, you're in the Dallas area, and we featured you on the Dallas Chapter episode. Make sure if you haven't listened to it, go back and you hear about the Dallas Chapter. But I wanted to have you on, dude, because you have quite a life story. It's been a journey, to say the least, for sure. Goodness, I don't even know where to begin. So where'd you grow Sometimes. up? So I grew up really all over the place. My dad worked for NCR as a systems engineer. And so we, we moved. I was born in Reno. We lived in Kentucky, Fremont, California, back to Reno, and then back to California. And then in 1980, my dad moved us from California to Arkansas. And I was 13 at the time. Kind of dates me there in my age. Informative years is kind of all over. A lot of California. And then teenage years was Arkansas. Then I moved to Dallas in 91 to go to art school. And my story that defined me for so many years comprises of all of that. Until I finally learned to no longer let that define me after my divorce in 2018. Okay, so talk about that. So, I call myself a survivor of bullying. As young of an age as 10 years old, being physically bullied by somebody that I thought was my best friend. Sexually bullied by somebody that I thought was my best friend. I had a gun put to my head when I was 12 years old out in California. When I was 13 years old, we moved from California to Arkansas and was trying to start a new school, gain new friends, and you know, when you're in a completely new place that's completely foreign to you, when you move from Fremont, California, which is part of the Bay Area, you know, that entire Metroplex, multi-millions of people to a city of 20,000 people, you know, culture shock for me, and I'm trying to become friends with people. And my eighth grade year in junior high, this is junior high for Arkansas, and every time I would come up to somebody to try to talk with them and meet them, somebody from a lot in the crowd out on the playgrounds would see me and they would yell the word typhoid, and somebody else would see would turn to look, see me, yell the word fever, and they would disperse. Just as if you would put black pepper in a dish of water with some soap and how that soap disperses and leaves the black pepper alone. And that was my entire eighth grade year. 
in my entire ninth grade year until I picked up a camera. And when I picked up a camera and everybody saw that if they wanted to be in the yearbook, they better be nice to me because I was the yearbook photographer. But even then, the physical bullying, even from family members, and I'm not going to go into that because on the off chance that they hear this, really off chance, I don't blame any of them because what causes people to bully others, it's about them. It's about the one that's doing the action and not the one that's receiving it. And that's so hard to understand that when a bully comes out and bullies somebody else, it's about that person and not the victim of it. That doesn't justify it by any means. But when you can start to understand it, that that's a power switch. And it took me into my 50s to, to learn that understanding. Workplace bullied, family member bullied, and I let that define me my entire life. And so my self-worth was, was zero. My self-value was zero. I found value in myself when I did something for other people. And if I wasn't doing things for other people, if I was serving, if I wasn't giving, then I wasn't worth anything and wasn't value. I didn't have any intrinsic value in myself just because of who I was, just because God loved me. And I didn't understand that. And in March of 2018, I lost my position with the company I had been with for eight years. I pretty much sabotaged it myself. And through that, because of that, and because my marriage was on a decline, and I'm not gonna go into that, because I don't want bad thoughts about her being brought up. I own my part of it, and that's all I can own on it. But in April of 18, of 2018, I found myself in my suburban, in drive, at the top of a boat ramp of a, of a lake in Dallas, Fort Worth, called Grapevine Lake. And this is the year of the flood, so the water's high, the water's dangerous, and I'm ready to drive down into it. I'm ready to just to end and go. And before I do, right before I'm about to press on the gas, I hear this audible voice that says, don't. As clear as I'm talking to you right now, Steve, yeah. I hear this voice that says, don't. And I, I had been out of church for 20 years. I came to know Christ as my personal savior in the fifth grade. I went to Bible college to become a preacher. I thought I was to, being called to become a preacher. I thought that that's where the Lord was directing me. But I left God. And I heard that audible voice that says, don't. And I put it in the park. And I called my sister-in-law. Because I knew where my wife was, and I knew she wasn't going to answer the phone. I called my sister-in-law up, and I'm in the middle of a massive panic attack. I'm hyperventilating. I almost can't breathe. I'm bawling. And she's like, David, what is going on? And I told her what I was about to do. And she said, please don't. 
please, please don't. Talk to me. She said, what can I do for you? And I said, you talk to me while I drive to the hospital. I said, you hang up on me while I'm driving to the hospital, and I'm turning right back around. And I drove to the hospital, H-E-B, and I will never get rid of this knife that I'm pulling out right now. I walked into the hospital. I had the blade out just like this. Walk up to the security guard and I hand it to him. He's just looking at me. So for our listeners, I'm handing, holding the blade out with the blade in my hand and handing the handle out like I'm handing it to him. And I collapse on the floor and I am bawling in tears. And I'm a big guy. I'm 6'5". I'm not a small guy. Thin, but I'm not small. I'll admit it. And I collapse on the floor in the ER. And I'm crying, bawling, and screaming, somebody please help me. And so they came around. They took me. They didn't question me on anything. They had already checked in my blade. They took me right back into the room. They hooked me up on IV. They started taking blood right off the bat. And I'm like, what the hell is going on here? I'm sitting here crying for help and you're starting to do all of this stuff. And psychiatrist comes in, you know, one of the nurse psychiatrists, crisis counselor type people, she comes in and she just sits in there with me. I get stripped down, belts, shoes, shoelaces, everything taken away from me. Anything that I could possibly use to hurt myself, but she just starts talking to me. And in about an hour after that, they take me off to inpatient care and I go to inpatient care for two weeks. I come out of that and I go into outpatient care and I'm now in a position that I want to live. I don't want this to be my legacy. I don't want this to be what my kids remembered, what my parents remembered, who had already lost their other child. And so I start crying out to God. Crying out to God and said, God, help me. And so I go online, and my beard's about a third of what it is now. And I'm looking up beard products, searching beard products, because I want to find something new. And this group comes up called Order of Man that was like, okay, well, let me look into this. Got into looking into it and saw that it was a brotherhood. And I'd never heard anything about a brotherhood. And for me, all my life, I love my parents. My parents are wonderful people. I was blessed. They're still alive. Thank you, Jesus. They just celebrated their 54th anniversary. My mom still walks after 54 years with her arm in my dad's arm when they're walking down the aisle at the grocery store. You know, cutest couple as can be. But they come from an age to where men were supposed to hide their emotions. It was the name it and claim it society, name and claim it parts of Christianity. So you just give it over to God and that's it. Give it over to God and that's it. And up until this time, I never knew anything about depression or anxiety. Give it over to God and that's it. So I was started to learning more about this and that. So I never knew anything about brotherhood. I never knew anything about understanding what your emotions are as a man. And 
how to deal with your emotions as a man and what that means. For what I thought, men were not supposed to cry, men were not supposed to feel, men were not supposed to cuss, men were not supposed to be mad, men were supposed to be just stoic and that's it. But that hides a big part of who we are. That hides a big part of what makes us how we think. So through this group of older men, I started learning about this and learning that it's okay to feel, but understand that emotions are real, but they're not fact. And when something's fact, then that's in a permanent state. Emotions are real, they're gonna change, but they're not fact, they're not in a permanent state. And so it was from that point in time that it's like, okay, I don't like who I was. I could not look in the mirror and say, I like, I'm proud of who's looking back. I thought it was a sin to say, yes, I'm proud of who I am. And then God showed me the second greatest commandment. Everybody knows the two greatest commandments. When the Pharisees were trying to trap Christ and say, which is the greatest commandment? And he said, first commandment is to love your Lord your God with all your mind, heart, body, and soul. And that comprises of the first five. Second greatest commandment is this. And it's so important to understand these words. Love your neighbor as yourself. And if you can't love your neighbor as yourself, how can we follow God's commandment of loving our neighbor? And I hated myself. I absolutely hated myself. I thought I was a failure. And this is somebody that went out and wrote and published his own comic book that sang in a quartet and cut a demo album that has been photographed, published in magazines and sold some of my photographs that are in people's homes. I've painted for people and I've done all of these things, but because those never became something that made me successful, I failed. And that's how I defined myself. And then I started realizing that I was looking for my value in my wife. And it never dawned on me that when she said, quit looking to me for validation, what that meant. I never understood that until I started going through all of this and started learning to take care of the four quadrants of our life and focusing on the four quadrants of our life yourself, your finances, your well-being, and your family. And when you start making goals and start defining those and seeing what those really mean, that you start seeing who you are more as a man. So a little backstory, back up a little bit. January of 2018, I'm at, at Cigar International and smoking a cigar with my buddy. They're just entertaining each other, having a good time. And a group called Man Alive Expedition, Garrison, who's part of Holy Smokes, and Zach Mayton, who was in that other podcast with us, is part of Man Alive. And, no, I'm sorry, this wasn't in January, this is around February, so forth. And I'm started, you know, 2018, I'm still starting to think I'm not quite there yet, I don't understand, but I'm wanting to find more. And I see this group of men sitting around smoking cigars. And so I come up to him and I talk to Garrett 
And he's like, yeah, if we do Man Alive, and here, sign your name and email address here, and, you know, we'll send you some information. Yeah. I didn't realize that they put me in a drawing for a ticket to the Man Alive expedition, which is based off of John Eldridge's Wild at Heart. Fast forward, we're now coming into September or so. Marriage is done. Marriage is over. In hindsight, 2020, it was over years before. But uh, everything between us is gone. And we weren't actually married. We lived together. But everything between us is gone. And I get an email from Garrett of, hey, you won the, the thing to the man alive. I was like, okay, cool. I didn't know what it was about. But because of this group, and I promise you it circles around, because of this group order man, they have two required books to read. First one was Sovereignty that was written by Ryan Mickler, who runs the group, which is a great book. Second one is John Eldridge's Wild at Heart. So I read John Eldridge's Wild at Heart, but I didn't know Man Alive was based off of that. So yeah, this, no, I'm sorry, this is in August that he says, you win. Come September, he's like, are you gonna register for this? And I'm like, okay, yeah, fine, whatever. I'll register for it. I don't know what this is about. I still haven't quite got back. I'm still not going back into church, but I'm still searching, I'm still looking, searching. Yeah. But I look at the detail of the email, and I see that it's based on Wild at Heart. And then I look at the phone number, the contact number, and I see that it's area code 501. And I'm like, okay, that's Arkansas. I look at the address of where they're located, and I see, holy crap, they're from Conway. So the guys that do this man alive, most of them are from Conway. So it's like, okay, I want to do this. So I register and go. Enemy is still fighting me. I'm starting to try to go back to church. I'm still hesitant on it, still apprehensive on it. And my anxiety is still really high. Started my woodworking to try to balance out the counseling on it. Still really lost as to where I need to be. And I go to Man Alive and I'm driving down there and I stop midway down. And I'm like, God, I'm not gonna do this. I can't do this. And I'm about to turn around and I get a text message from a very good friend of mine named Suzanne. And she said, how are you doing? And I said, I can't do it. And she goes, no, you do this. And so she calls me up and she talks me through this and says, David, you've got to do this. God wants you there. So I continue on, go down there and I don't know anybody talking cigars I realized that they like cigars and it's like okay Zach comes up and my first impression of Zach is oh he's just a poser he doesn't really know anything about cigars and I start talking with Zach a bit this was on a Thursday come Saturday my anxiety is pretty high lunchtime I'm enjoying this and getting a lot out of it but the enemy starts attacking me yeah we're sitting at the table at lunchtime and the enemy is sitting there telling me, you're alone. You came here alone, look around. Everybody else is with somebody. You're by yourself. And I am sitting at the table alone. Everybody else that was sitting at the table went off with their own groups and other, you know, their own people, that family and so forth. 
And so I get up and I move over to the fireplace and I'm looking out and I'm like, I am alone here. So anxiety is building up, building up, and the enemy is just feeding off of that. And one of the leaders looks across and he comes over to me and he goes, what's going on? And I said, no, I'll be fine, which is my trigger words. Yeah. If ever I say, I'll be fine, know that something's wrong with me. And he said, no, what's going on? And so I start telling him and he's like, come on, let's go out here. We go outside, sit on a stool out there and we just start praying. And we pray and he goes, you're not done here yet. He goes, I'm sorry, I have to go run the shotgun shooting. You're not done here yet. Please don't make that decision to leave. He gets up, he leaves, another leader comes by and goes, what's going on, Dave? I'm like, I'll be fine. He goes, no, what's going on, Dave? That's cool. So we sit there and we talk for a bit. And he, he goes, where's your wounds? Where's your wounds in, in all of this? So we talk about some of the wounds. And he goes, no, those aren't it. Where's your wounds? You need to go and have a covenant of silence and really search out where your wounds are. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll do that. He goes off, I get walking off and I'm heading back to the dorm and I'm ready to just go pack up and leave. Zach, Nathan, walks by and he goes, you okay? Yeah, I'll be fine. He turns up, starts walking away, and he goes, no, come back here. We come back and sit, and he said, talk to me. How's your heart? Mm. Which so probably I, words you've never heard before. Never heard of till this time. How's your heart? And so I lay it out loud, and I'm bawling. I'd been bawling for over an hour. This is an hour in time through, over an hour in time through all of this. And I'm bawling. And he looks at me and goes, I'm not giving you a choice in this matter. I'm going to pray for you right now. And he just starts praying for me. Not with me, praying for me. Yeah. And I never realized how powerful that is for somebody. And after about 20 minutes in prayer, every single burden that I had and every single fear that I had and every single bit of anxiety that I had was gone. Wow. Was gone. And in the Dallas Group podcast, we were talking about crafted cravings. And it was that night that that name came to me. Hmm. What we were supposed to do is we were supposed to go out and have covenant of silences. Uh, okay, God, we've talked about our poses. We've talked about our, our wounds. We've talked about our name. And I'll tell you what my name is here in a minute. And I think it'll make sense to you. Now let's talk about what are we to do? And I'm talking to God, I'm saying, God, you know how I love the art. I love crafting things out of everything. And then you're the greatest crafter, you're the great creator. My life was almost lost because I gave up on that for so many years. 
and I walked away from you for so many years. Tell me where I need to be. And he said, let me feel your cravings. And so crafted cravings grew from that. He said, this is where you want me to be. And it was from that point on through that and learning that my validation isn't in somebody else. My validation is right here inside of me because of him and what he did for me by dying on the cross. And if he, someone who created all of this, loves me, yeah. that intrinsic value in of itself, because I'm alive, because God created me and God loves me, therefore I have value, and that's where my validation is. And from that point on was where my growth started into God let me use me using this craft, using my love for cigars, using my love for bourbons and whiskey to be a minister for you and helping other men and women who don't see that in themselves. Yeah. That's cool. So what's the name? Whispering Wind. What does that mean to you? Wind is one of the most powerful forces that's on the earth. We're seeing the destruction of what the tragedy of what happened in Iowa with 150 mile an hour winds, hurricane strength on dry land. The two hurricanes that's come up. We also see the comfort of it is when a hot day and that cool breeze comes through. And one of the most powerful statements is that when the most dangerous man, the most dangerous warrior, is the one who knows how to kill, but knows when not to. And so that's where the whispering comes in from. And so God's using my soft voice and the power and strength that he has given to me to be able to help him heal the hearts of those around me. I guarantee you, Dave, there are people listening right now. I can guarantee you there's at least one that's listening right now. They struggle with depression. You've been very open about that on, on Facebook. They struggle with anxiety. You've been very open with that on Facebook and in this podcast. What advice would you give them? Tell somebody else your safe words. Don't lock yourself up. Learn what your triggers are, and everybody has triggers. We all do. Learn what your triggers are, learn to recognize those triggers, and when you see them coming out, reach out. And that's the hardest, that's the absolute hardest thing for us to do, is to reach out. You force yourself to get up. You force yourself to get out of bed. Get yourself a pet. Get yourself an animal, a dog one that's dependent upon you to be able to get up and have to go and feed your animal, go and walk your dog. Find something that forces you to get out of bed and become a habit of it. Yeah. But the most important thing is, is to develop a routine and develop something that you do every single day that shows you accomplishment and victory. And my 
one thing that I do every single day is I get up and I make my bed. No matter what happens to me throughout the rest of that day, I've had a successful day because I've accomplished the one thing of making my bed. It doesn't matter anything else. Take time for yourself. Remember that it's, we're supposed to carry burdens, not everyone's. We're supposed to carry the particular burdens that we're capable of carrying, but not everyone's. So take time for yourself to allow yourself to regroup, to grow back in strength. My time for myself now, after I make my bed, I walk my dog, I feed my dog, I brew myself a cup of coffee, and I go out on my back porch, my back patio, and I start a cigar, drink my coffee, and I open up my devotional and start reading a devotional. And while I'm drinking my coffee and reading that devotional, I take a picture of myself, edit it, turn it into black and white, and then I write something that God is telling me about that I see in that picture of what he wants to talk to me about that day. And then I post it on Facebook. Dave Yancey, thanks for being on the Holy Smokes podcast. I guarantee you there are people that are encouraged by this. Let's get to rapid fire questions. Okay. Hey everyone, before we get to the rapid fire segment, I wanted to reshare a note that Kay and I got from an 80 year old listener that lives in Southeast Kansas and still works in his small town family business. He told us, I really lack male friendships because so many of my friends have passed the last few years. So I would value a group of men to spend time with. I'm learning some valuable lessons through the podcast and wish I was 30 rather than 80. I plan to stay tuned for more interviews. May God bless you and your group in 2020. He also talked about how we wrestle with the concept of men and women partaking in fine tobacco and drink because of the church and denomination he grew up in, but the podcast is changing that. When I showed this to Kay at his house recently, we both started tearing up. This is my why for doing this show. So if that moved you, would you consider partnering with us? Kay and I want to develop the website to better facilitate groups. We want to travel and get your stories for the podcast. We want to get back to doing two episodes a week, but we need your help. There are two simple ways you can help us out. Become a regular supporter at patreon.com slash holy smokes. That's patreon.com for as little as $5 a month. You can get early access to episodes, ad-free versions of the podcast, free swag like a holy smokes t-shirt, and more. That's patreon.com slash holy smokes. You can also make a one-time tax-deductible donation at paypal.me slash holy smokes club. And both of those links are in the show notes. Thanks. Rapid fire. <laughs> fire. Here. <laughs> When did you first try cigars? 1992. So I've been smoking cigars for almost 30 years. My very first cigar was a Dunhill 1985. A group of friends and I, we went into Elite Cigars in Addison, and they had a Dunhill 1985. I thought I was, you know, I'm in Texas, go big or go home. So I bought a $35 cigar as my very first cigar, smoked it, and I've been hooked since. looking for a light. What do you prefer, cigars or pipe? I would assume cigars. Cigars. I, I've got a pipe, but I've never smoked one. What? I've never smoked a pipe, but I've got one. 
favorite cigar? Oh my goodness, it, that's hard. I mean, it depends upon what I'm eating, what I'm drinking. I would say right now at this point in time, my family's favorite cigar is the Ave Maria Argentina. Most expensive cigar you've ever smoked? $100. What was it? I don't know the brand of it. I'm trying to figure out the brand of it, but it, it was a double Lancero. So it was 13 inches long <laughs> in a coffin, and it was with a Habana sun-grown Maduro wrapper with Lajero Longfellers in it. Was it worth it? And then some. <laughs> best dollar-for-dollar dollar cigar you've ever smoked? Um, best dollar-for-dollar dollar cigar I've ever smoked, I would have to probably say Providencius Trinitas. Your go-to place to get smokes? Underground. All day long. Your splurge cigar. When you're celebrating, what are you pulling out? Ooh, um, right now it's the Ave Maria Reconquisto. That's a $25 cigar. It's a Brazilian Oscuro Habano wrapper. Yeah. It's got some beautiful medium dark chocolate, black dark chocolate, dark coffee flavors to it. And it's strong pepper all the way throughout it. Favorite liquid pairing with your smoke? You know, I did a smoke a La Aurora Ruby, which is their Maduro. And I paired that with a Cigar City Maduro Imperial Stout. Probably my most favorite pairing. And I love different pairings. I love pairings with cigars with food, with whiskeys, beers, you name it. Complimentary pairings, contrasting pairings, but that one I think stands out the most. Most interesting person you've ever met through cigars? I can't remember his name right now, but I'm smoking cigars at out on the, the lounge, the patio, at uh, Ron's Corner Tavern in, in Bedford, Texas. And a uh, bunch of people just start gathering around me. And we just start having a conversation and we start talking about faith. And this guy, he's from um, Poland. And he's looking at some of the photography that I'm doing. You know, I'm taking pictures and seeing and he's get interested. So he starts showing me photography and he goes, but I don't want to talk to you about that with this really deep Polish accent. He goes, I want to talk to you about your faith. Mm. I'm like, okay, love to talk to you about it. He goes, first you need to know I'm an atheist. I'm like, okay, why, why are you an atheist? So he tells me, and I always ask him why, because there's intelligent atheists and unintelligent atheists. Unintelligent atheists follow the five senses, the realm of knowledge, beliefs, and they don't really understand. They don't understand that their atheism is a belief system in of itself. So he explains it to me and he goes, why is your faith so strong? And I told him a story. I said, have you ever been at a mall, sitting at, in one of the chairs at the mall and you see all the people around you? Or you've been at a movie theater and you have all the people around you, but yet you have felt so alone and so isolated. He goes, oh yeah, all the time. I said, okay, do you know that comfort feeling of a weighted blanket? So when you're feeling alone, anxious, and somebody throws a blanket over you or somebody comes in and hugs you, 
and that immediate sense of overwhelming comfort that just comes and goes, yeah, my wife knows exactly what to do when I'm, I'm anxious on that. I said, my faith gives me that every day. And he said, but I don't know that I believe in faith. And I told him, I said, brother, you exercise in faith every single day of your life. And he goes, why? How so? I said, when you sat down in that chair, you were exercising in faith because you didn't know if that chair was going to hold you up until you sat down in it without hesitation. And he said, well, that's because I've sat down in other chairs. And I said, oh, so your faith was strengthened by experience. And he said, okay. <laughs> and he goes, are you telling me that your faith in God has been strengthened by experience? And I said, bingo. And from that point on, whenever I met Ron's Corner Tavern, whether I'm sitting alone or not, and he comes in and he sees me, he comes and sits down. And one day, he started asking me questions and he goes, I want to introduce you to my wife. One of the most interesting people and it all started over cigars. That's awesome. Best place you've ever smoked. I would have to say right now, you know, and like any cigar, I mean, that's going to change. You know, your best cigar, your best drinks, that's going to change depending upon what's going on. Right now, it's right now, right here tonight. Mm. Best conversation over a cigar. You remember the story that I told you about in the Dallas, when we were doing the Dallas group? Yeah. About the guy that came up to me after Zach and I were talking. He yeah. said, can I talk to you? Yeah. That one. That conversation when a couple months later and he told me that that conversation kept him from killing himself. From killing himself. I will That's never awesome. forget that one. That's beautiful. Most memorable cigar experience. This one happened just recently. My mom on my balcony. It was the Ave Maria Divina. Drinking some coffee. Sun is coming up start feeling the warmth of the sun and I didn't sleep at all that night anxiety was crazy had a difficult time with uh, some friends I'll leave it at that and when that warmth came over me with this beautiful breakfast cigar the Divina I mean, just beautiful, creamy notes all the way throughout it. Nice coffee. And I like creamer in my coffee. I'm sorry for all you purists. I love my coffees. I do like my creamer. But just feeling that warmth over me, and it was like God saying that, forget about what just happened. I've got you. Mm. Mm. Marvel or DC? Oh, Marvel. Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars. Favorite food? Ooh. One that I'll go to most often is Mexican, but I would probably say my favorite meal that I've recently had was beautiful New York strip, medium rare, covered in a green hatch chili pepper sauce. Ooh. Paired with a rye-based whiskey sour and finished off with an Ave Maria Argentinum. Dogs, cats, neither or both? Yes. Nickname growing up or in college? My nickname now is Greybeard. Greybeard. 
What's one unusual fact that few people know about you? Well, see, people have heard that now that I've written and published a comic book, sang bass in a quartet. I used to race motorcycles. Ooh. Used to ride, ride motocross and would try to get into races, never did anything on it, but yeah. loved riding motocross. Favorite one to three books not titled The Holy Bible? Fiction, we're going to go with all 14 books of Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time. Nonfiction, it's hands down uh, Wild at Heart by John Eldridge. And then, goodness, so many. Number three, I would probably have to say Young Jedi's by Timothy Zahn. Life scripture. Proverbs 27, 17. In fact, I'm going to get a tattoo with a sword that comes across this way. Hilt right here in 2717, right out of it. And that is, as iron sharpens iron, so, so a friend sharpens a friend. Mm. If you could be any animal, what would you be? Peregrine falcon. It's the second one I've got of that. Early riser, night owl, or normal? Early riser. What's your greatest strength? My ability to listen to other people and really listen to them and hear their voice and hear their heart. Who's been the greatest influence in your life? Besides Christ? Yeah. That's varied. Early years, it was my dad. This one's going to come a shock to you, Steve. But when we met... I was at a point in time to where I didn't understand really what brotherhood was. And watching you over the past months, I would have to say you are one of them. Thank you. Wow. If you were arrested with no explanation, what would your friends and family assume you were done? Drinking a whiskey out in public where I wasn't be. <laughs> what does Holy Smokes mean to you? And what has it done for your faith? Holy Smokes means to me is family. When I've been in, in positions and in places where I felt lost, when my depression or anxiety was at its highest, I've been able to come on to Holy Smokes and post something on the wall in Holy Smokes. And you were one that's reached out to me on times on that. Paul's reached out to me, Kay's reached out to me and say, hey, are you okay? Mm. So, family, you guys are my family. If you could have a holy smoke with any three people throughout history, living or deceased, who would they be? Can't name Jesus. Ernest Hemingway. Ooh, that's a first. So I want to hear his stories when he's sober. I don't care if he smokes a cigar or not. I don't know if he ever did smoke a cigar. Most people probably won't even know who he is. But his name is Alfred Stiglitz, and he's the godfather of photography as art. His wife, who he found as an artist, discovered as an artist, is a very well-known artist named Georgie O'Keefe. And uh, she's the one that has made famous the Pedernal Mountain in New Mexico. But he's a turn of the 20th century photographer that showed us that photography is an art form. 
So, in number three, I would have to say Mark Twain. And I know his name probably gets stated a lot, but Mark Twain is such an incredible storyteller. True. With such an in-depth mind that I just want to poke at his brain and understand his thought process of how he just goes through things. So, number three. Last question. If we're to meet one year from today, and I got a bottle of your favorite whiskey, what are we celebrating? One year today, bottle of favorite whiskey. Doesn't matter what we're smoking or what we're eating. Axon Oak Rye. What are we celebrating? We're celebrating my artist co-ops that I want to start, my craftsman co-op that I want to start, grand opening. Talk about that. My dream is to build this co-op to where woodworkers, glass blowers, blacksmiths, welders, painters, craftsmen of all sorts can come together. They rent out a space, they work on their crafts, they collaborate on their crafts, and in the center of it all is a lounge. We smoke cigars, we drink whiskey, we drink coffee, we drink wine, we showcase our stuff, we do shows, we bring in cigar rollers, we bring in distillers, we bring in chefs, and we celebrate the craftsmanship of everything of life that God has given it to us and use us as a ministry to share with each other what we can craft and hopefully minister to others of who God is as the ultimate creator, the ultimate craftsman. So that's my dream. Craft your cravings. Dave Yancey, thanks for being on the Holy Smokes Podcast. Thank you, brother.